This insert is brought to you by Radio K Pulpit, 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za. Welcome to Voice of Change with myself, Lauren Jacobs, today. I hope that you're having an amazing day and it's going to be an amazing one even here on the show today. For the next hour, I'm going to be joined by Tracy Balzer, uh, all the way out from the United States. And we're going to be talking about something that we often hear about in Christianity and, and sometimes maybe just among people who are led towards it, but something that maybe we have a hard time trying to figure out if it's okay to read about it or engage in this kind of thing but we're going to be talking about celtic or celtic christianity and uh, that's quite interesting isn't it because obviously uh, we have a lot of ideas on what celtic christianity is what it should look like or maybe we think that it's associated with paganism or you've seen a book of uh, maybe prayers or even that word saint that that you don't like because it's part of the history and the narrative of how we learn about uh, celtic Christianity. But today I want to unpack it, demystify it, bring it to us. And Tracy is the author of a number of books, but she's authored most, uh, you know, that I must say is a wonderful book called Thin Places. And it's all about this journey into Celtic Christianity. And also she's written a book called A Journey of Sea and Stone, How Holy Places Guide and Renew Us, which is another further personal reflection on, on Iona, the island of Iona, where Celtic Christianity really boomed in Scotland and she's a a wonderful incredible woman who is a leader of many spiritual programs to the sacred island of Iona in Scotland and she served in campus ministry and Christian higher education for 27 years and she is currently pursuing a diaconical ordination in one of the churches of North America so there you have it she's going to be joining me and we're going to be touching on Celtic Christianity and I cannot wait for us to be together because this is an important topic, one that we don't often talk about and one that people are interested in. So stay tuned if you want to know all about these earliest pioneers and also what we can learn from them and their faith. So stay tuned. Tracy, it is amazing to have you join me on the show today. I know as a slight disclaimer, I'm going to say to the listeners as they're joining us that Tracy and I, even though we are very, very far away from each other, have a slight bit of a cold. So we pray for a lot of grace today as we join together. But we are so excited to be talking about Celtic Christianity and the early, early founders, the the movers and the shakers, the pioneers, I like to say, of what was happening in, in Ireland, in Scotland, you know, and in England even. And Tracy has such a deep passion for this. And also, we want to demystify things. We want to take away the skepticism. We want to talk about why and how this is impactful for us to believe in Jesus and the early faith of the pioneers that went before us, how important their faith is, what we can learn from them. But before we do that, Tracy, so good to have you with me today, talking about something that I know you are so passionate about and that I have a passion for. So this is going to be such a joy. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Lauren. It was just a delight for me to get your email and see that someone on the other side of the world um, is asking these questions and interested in something that, like you said, I'm quite passionate about and have been interested in uh, for over two decades and not just Mm -hmm. interested in, but in something that has really impacted my own personal walk with Jesus. So Mm -hmm. I'm delighted to be here. 
And I know you, you've, you've taken so many trips, right, to Iona, which we're going to touch on Iona in the show. Uh, you know, I, I mean, you, it's, it's not just like you went on to Google Maps, right? And you were like, what does these places look like? Or Google Earth, you know, and be like, wow, this is the ancient places. You have, you know, physically been impacted by the land, by the landscape, by the nature, the creation that God made where you've gone to walk and experience. So tell us a little bit about that beginning journey. Like you said, you know, your faith being so deeply impacted. So how did this begin? How did you find yourself going to visit, you know, these ancient places like Iona, which we're going to talk about, and having your faith deeply, deeply moved? I mean, it's it's so incredible to me. It really is funny. You know, God does such... In- uses such interesting ways to uh, reach us. And he's so creative and I think even humorous often, like we can look <laughs> backwards, especially as we look backwards and think that was really funny um, in a, in a, in a really delightful way. Um, <clears throat> Cause like I said, this has been a, uh, like most of my adult life now has been colored by this um, interest in Celtic Christianity. And it, especially for someone who, um, hadn't really hadn't left the um, the continental United States mm. until I was forty. Like I w- I had never oh. I had never left, and um, but I was working at a Christian university here in I live in in uh, Northwest Arkansas, which is kind of right in the middle of the United States, mm. and um, working in campus ministries. And the university I work for has deep ties to Northern Ireland. And um, I remember in my early days, you know, hearing our students who had just been to Northern Ireland on a mission trip, hearing them report in one of our chapel services about their mission trip and suddenly just getting this thought like, huh, I bet I bet one day we'll go to Northern Ireland. We being me and my family, my husband also taught at teaches, continues to teach theology there. I'm no longer at the university. I I was there for 27 years. He's been teaching for 27 years. Wow. This was in the early days, you know, in our early 40s and um, or late 30s. And um, just thinking, I bet we go to Northern Ireland and I bet and and indeed we did. But but what led up to that was um, just simply discovering a book on Celtic prayer. Mm-hmm. And I thought well, this was an interesting wedding of two things. I recognize the word Celtic as as referring to something Irish and mm-hmm. prayer. I'm always interested in something prayer. But you know, that word Celtic can kind of raise our eyebrows a little bit like, yeah. what is that? Isn't that kind of new agey or, you know, uh, pagan? And I just devoured that book in in a weekend and learned that in these um, ancient places, specifically Ireland for, at, at first, thanks to the mission work an evangelistic work of Patrick and others. Yeah. This fire of the gospel was lit hmm. and um and spread throughout Ireland and then onto Scotland and then on into Ireland on into Europe. And this happened at a critical moment in history. And that critical moment was um right after the fall of the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. So so basically all of Great Britain, what we now know as Great Britain was kind of in ruins. Um, mm. No, no, you know, infrastructure, all of the, the 
any churches uh, that had been functioning were no longer functional. They didn't have basic needs being met, no schools. I don't actually, I cannot profess to be a historian when it yeah. comes to the Roman Empire, but I can know that those people needed to be re-evangelized. And, and just moving through those early centuries, we're talking about like 400 to 700 to 900. So those centuries there, it was, it was during that time that all of those great Celtic missionaries, yeah. um, well, who had really sprung from um, the ministry of Patrick and Columba, these these Irish missionaries um, who um, evangelized Ireland and then Columba went on to evangelize this little, uh, set up a missionary center on this little island of Iona off of mm-hmm. Scotland. And they just send missionaries out. It just was so inspiring to me. So, so the missionary movement was thrilling, but also really what caught my imagination was the way they engaged with God who mm. seemed so very near to them. Mm. And I thought, you know, in this day and age here in America, where even so many Christians just feel like I believe in God with my head. I know things to be true, but I just can't seem to find God anywhere. I can't seem to reach him. I can't seem to, to connect with him in meaningful ways. Mm. And so um, that began um, um, a journey, both interior, a journey interior for me. And then very soon after we were asked to lead a student group to Northern Ireland. And after that, it just like every summer, we started going for various reasons. And right away, I started going to Iona and right away, mm. the vision for taking other people with me. And it has just spun out since then. And oh. and I'm leading three groups of adults to Iona this summer. Mm. I know because your trips are sold out. That's not fair. <laughs> yes, yes. But uh, you know what? It's It's incredible. This is incredible because... What you are saying is very important for us to understand that this it was a mission movement. And, it, you know, evangelizing and bringing the truth about Jesus, about Christ in a, a way that was meaningful and that was life-changing was exactly what these earliest, earliest believers did. Like you said, Columbo, think of, you know, Patrick, obviously, and Aiden. And, and, and it wasn't just about bringing people, like you said, as well, the gospel, they were really concerned about, you know, feeding people, about the poor, even though these are individuals who live in community and they themselves, I mean, they live lived in isolated areas sometimes too, but they set up places that could actually help people, knowing that that was the time period. That's how God was using them. Like you said, the fall of the Roman Empire, things were left in, in quite a lot of ruins. People had right. to really figure things out. And there was you know, a lot of poverty, there was a lot of starvation. And the early Celtic believers saw that. And also their faith was about helping others and about helping the poor, even though they themselves didn't have much. And I and and that's something that we need to also take with us in in this modern age that's become very consumer-based and very self-based, you know, and becomes more and more about that all the time. And how big is your profile? How big is your following? How big is everything? That's not what 
these first believers were interested in. They, I mean, they just were doing what God was telling them to do. And and I think that that's so meaningful and something we can also take away from for our lives as well, how they lived and what they decided to do with their faith. For sure. They, I, I mean, in, in so many ways, they were really living out the lifestyle of the early church, right? You know, yes, they were living in yeah. community. Um, I, I would often tell my students at the university um, that these monks, these monastic communities that would have their doors open and bring you know bringing in people that the interesting thing is that they were not just you know walking around chanting all day mm-hmm. um you know what that's the image that we always have of yeah. monks and, and yeah. not that's not an incorrect that's that is you know the benedictine monks that would come a little bit later and 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 some um some forms of monasticism certainly look like that these particular monks the celtic um monasticism Folks were um, very interested in teaching, and and um, and so they in, in this era of where everything fell apart, no schooling. Like they were teaching people to read, mm. and um, and they were um, you know uh, teaching people in in all kinds of subjects, and it was like a small university. And so I tell my students, mm-hmm. it's like. Us here living in community, we worship together, we pray together, we learn together. Like we're like a little monastery here, <laughs> and uh, and so I think I think in a lot of ways, uh, those early monasteries were kind of like a, a little university. Yeah, so so yeah. it's inspiring to me in that way too. They were places of learning, uh, places of thriving, places of prayer for sure, places of worship. Um, yeah. So. Um, yeah, so so that of course is is just inspiring. I think pe- that's something people would not know about what was going on in early Ireland and Scotland. Yeah, definitely. And 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 what was so beautiful is also how these monastic communities actually connected with God as well through creativity. Uh, as being a creative, it, it's it's so inspiring. Sometimes you know people who are creative especially in our world often or in our school systems often get pushed aside because like, Oh, maybe you're not, you know, doing sports, you know, or maybe you're not, you know, you're not at the Super Bowl. You're not going to be a Super Bowl kid. So, you know, but you're so creative and they connected with God. And did you find that as well? I mean, they have the most, the monastic, these first monastic believers, they have these ornate manuscripts and the, and carvings and beautiful things that we have. That's part of history. It's part of, yes. of what we look back as history, but it's also part of what we can learn about faith and what it means to use everything that we have and how God wants us to connect with him through creativity. And then also nature. And Tracy, I want to talk uh, to you about that because people sometimes see that as also being quite new agey or weird, yes. but yes. the earliest believers actually could, easily connect with God uh, through being in nature and in understanding him like that. And so it's probably a good time to just go ahead and address that. Like, where do we get this idea? And I love your question about um, creativity and art. So we will definitely mm. get there because um, that is one of the reasons why I just loved it as well. Oh. Um, but but let's just step back a little bit and talk about what was Ireland like before Patrick and other missionaries arrived? Mm. It was incredibly pagan. Ireland was sitting out there all by itself, 
unconquered by the Romans because the Romans couldn't be bothered with it. Like, why go conquer that little island out there? We're just going to stick to, you know, uh, the continent and to what is now Great Britain. Yeah. And so, uh, so you know, barbarian types living out um, in Ireland were very pagan. And by that, uh, it was a particular kind of paganism, what we would call pantheism. They were a very spiritual kind of paganism. Um, it wasn't just that they didn't believe in God. They believed in many gods, actually. Mm. Uh, pantheism, believing that everything around them was God. And they had a deep appreciation for the creation around them. Mm. So that the sea had godlike properties or was God, the trees. And if you've ever been to a place like Ireland or can imagine it, you mm. know, somehow everyone wants to go to Ireland. And I yeah, totally understand why. Sure. <laughs> it does, you know, it's like Absolutely. all the people all the people who love Lord of the Rings, we just like, oh, <laughs> just want to live in Middle Earth. And there's a reason why, you know. And um and so that it just kind of looks like that everywhere. And so so the pagan Celts kind of believed they were in a sacred place all the time and that God was all around them. Yeah. Well, so here comes Patrick and tells them very similar, very, very much like the way Paul, the apostle Paul came to um, the Athenians mm. and, um, and said to them, um, you know, men of Athens at the Areopagus in Book of Acts, he said, I look around and see that you are very spiritual. I look around and see that you've got idols all around you. But let me tell you about the one true God. And that's very much like, I think, that the tact mm -hmm. that Patrick took. He's like, like he, he applauded them for their spirituality, for their spiritual sensibility. And, and said, I, I see that you understand that there is something bigger here, that there is something beyond yourselves. Let me tell you who that is, who mm. created these beautiful trees, this raging sea, these gorgeous hills. Um, in Ireland, they say there are 40 shades of green. Mm. Um, and, and I know it wasn't quite that simple, but, but. This was the approach that he took. He did not come in and say, let me tell you my version of Christianity. And I'm going to sort of give you the English because Patrick was not Irish. He had been kidnapped as a, as a youngster mm -hmm. and had spent time in Ireland, you know, tending flocks. And, and that's where he met God was on the field, on mm -hmm. the hillside in Ireland. And yeah. so he had been there. He had been, he had been, um, you know, serving these pagan folks for six years before he was allowed to go back home to Ireland. But it was wow. on the, that side that he met God himself. And so he knew what kind of life they lived. He knew their belief structure. And he came back, called back to Ireland in a dream and um, came back and introduced them to the one true God. And it just caught fire. Mm. And so these pagan, um, these, these pagan folks having such a deep appreciation for beauty mm. um, and creativity. They just latched onto this God who would create things that were so beautiful. Mm. I say, like, I'm giving you a very simple, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Patrick's job was not so easy, but yeah. I'm I'm telling you, um, the Holy Spirit was with him, and and um, the gospel fire moved through Ireland in an, in a profound way. And so um, I love, um, I always refer, go back to this verse in Romans 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from by what he has, what has been made yeah. so that men without excuse. So, so these pagans were able to see and believe. And, and so all of that goes to like being transfer transferred into this creative energy that ultimately resulted, yes, into beautiful, um, ultimately over, over centuries, illuminated manuscripts of the scriptures, like you mentioned, most famously the book of Kells. And so um, Mm -hmm. the book of Kells is our, is our most um, intact, preserved, oldest, what we call an illuminated manuscript, the hand-lettered uh, version of the four Gospels. Um, it's large. It is in um, intricately lettered and decorated and colorful. And the reason why we call it illuminated is because it is highlighted in gold. Hmm. And it is preserved now, and you can see it at Trinity College in Dublin. Yeah. Uh, but it's begun on the Isle of Iona by the monks there, probably somewhere around the 7th century or so, 8th century. It's um, amazing. So, it, and, yeah. and I just want to say here, Tracy, that if, if anyone actually hasn't seen it or heard about it, they should really jump on to Google during the song. <laughs> can listen to the song in the background that we're going to play. But jump on to Google and actually Google and actually just, I mean, it's not like seeing this beautiful work in real life, but uh, you can get an idea of of what this manuscript actually looks like. We call it a manuscript, but like this, it's just so beautiful. And yes. I want people to be able to see it so they can get as excited as we get. <laughs> you know, Especially just those of you who on. are artists. Like yeah. this is something to, to see the the um, intense care that they would have taken. It would have taken mm. so much time. And to think that this was like a prayer, right? Yeah. As they are writing these um, scriptures, the gospels, and mm. illuminating them um, for for preservation forever, you know? And, and yes, the um, Trinity College and the Book of Kells, if you just Google those, they have a fantastic site and you'll be able to see what we're talking about. Yeah. Yes. And the, you, you can skip the queue if you just Google now because you're standing in the queue to see them. <laughs> this is worth yes. If you go there. <laughs> well, the you know what? Way, the other way true? that yeah. is so distinctive of Celtic art are the um, um, uh, Celtic crosses. And you've probably seen a Celtic cross. It's distinctive by its circle that is behind the the main um, intersection of the cross. You might have seen someone with a tattoo yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a Celtic yeah. cross. You see a lot of intricate knot work. But these Celtic crosses were carved, again, probably through the 7th seventh, seventh through the ninth century. Um, very high crosses. 
some of them like 20 feet high, um, almost as a way to tell the biblical story. So um, a number of them, a good number of them still stand. Yeah. And um, and they're beautiful. Mm-hmm. And go on over and Google what we were talking about during the song break and uh, just have have a look and just just let this flow into you as well, what we're talking about today and enjoy some music, but don't go anywhere because Tracy's still going to be with me after this. We're going to unpack some more. So enjoy. You're with me, Lauren Jacobs, here on Voice of Change, and I hope that you've been here all the time because Tracy and I have been unpacking a bit about the early Celtic believers and Celtic Christianity and what was actually happening and demystifying a little bit because I know that people tend to think, you know, oh, was this a bad thing, you know, because, you know, there was, you know, this paganism and we've heard some bad things and we've seen these pictures of what was happening. We're just uncomfortable. So we hope that we're doing you a bit of a favor, making you feel a little bit more peaceful because there's so many things that we can learn from the early Celtic believers. And, uh, you know, Tracy, I wanted you to tell us a little bit about Iona. And um, also, one of the places I'm so jealous because a friend of mine has just moved an hour and a half away from Lindisfarne, the holy really? island of Lindisfarne. Yeah, and I'm so awesome. jealous. <laughs> I'm like, you, and, I, and I said to her that she cannot go there until I go and visit her so that we can go together. So I hope that she's not going to go. Uh, I've just made it public now, you know, because we're talking about it on air. So I was like, please, yep. I have to go with you. I have not been there yet. So tell us a bit about these incredible places. So Iona, as well as, you know, I mentioned Linda's Farn now. So Linda's we have to fun, talk yeah. about it. So tell us a bit about your experience with Iona. And uh, yeah, what what is so incredible about it? Well, that's a really um, a very loaded question um, mm. because um, it, you know it might we might think yeah what is so special about it and I I always tell folks you know whether they're thinking about coming with me or even whether they're there with me on the island yeah. um, I remind them you know God is with us everywhere in fact. Psalm 139 tells us there's really nowhere we can go to mm. escape, right? Yes. But the but the thing is, is that we are not always with God. Mm. And I'm not saying that we can, we, this is not about salvation or anything like that. It's about our attention. Mm. Like, are we really <clears throat> looking for him or watching for him or listening for him? And we live in a very busy world, a very loud world. Yeah. And, um, and so there, there is this expression, um, that has Celtic roots called thin places. Yeah. A thin place is any place, any place where the dividing line between heaven and earth seems tissue paper thin. Hmm. And Iona is known as one of the thinnest of places. Again, does that mean God is more present on Iona? No, but it, it is where the dividing line seems tissue paper thin. In other words, Iona helps us pay attention to God in an unusual way. And why is that? Well, I mean, it really does make a difference when you're on an island that has mm-hmm. far fewer cars. Only the mm-hmm. uh, residents can have cars, and there are only maybe 120 residents. It's a very mm-hmm. small island. 100. I mean, sorry, three miles wide by three miles long by one mile wide. Um, 
It is um, the location of Columba's first uh, monastic settlement. And um, so there stands the um, a, a restored Benedictine Abbey, uh, a big mm. Abbey church on the, on the spot where Columba's uh, first monastic settlement was. And it's a big, beautiful Gothic church where services are held every night at nine o'clock in the summer, which sounds mm. so late, but summer north, we're in Scotland, it's northern. Yeah. I mean, at 10 o'clock, we get out of the service. It's still light out. Um mm. It is on the most beautiful blue water, turquoise blue water. You'd think you're in the Caribbean. Um, it is quiet. It is slow. Um, it, you just enter into a whole different rhythm. There are no police on the, that is mm. not, that's against the police. I'm just saying like, we're not hearing sirens, right? We're, mm. we're accustomed mm. to that. Um, and, and also that would indicate, um, they don't really have crime on the island. So that's kind of a lovely thing. Um, you know, just a lot of the things that crowd our lives are not there. And so it's a wonderful place to get away and better be able to listen to God, to watch for God and just slow down. Mm -hmm. Now you can do that in a lot of places and you should, (laughs) we really all should. And and when I talk about thin places in public settings, you know, a retreat or a workshop or whatever, um, you know, there is a knowing um, look that I get on a lot of faces because I think everyone knows, yes, I have had a thin place. I, I know that it's on my grandmother's front porch yeah. or it's a mountain in Colorado or it's, you know, everybody has that because we know how difficult it is to pay attention to God. And sometimes we have to make radical decisions to do that. Mm-hmm. Iona is just special because if you have the opportunity to go, it gives you this, um, it gives you the chance to put all of these things together. This Christian, this wonderful Christian legacy that the Celts have left us, mm-hmm. the beauty of creation and time to be with God and listen in a unique way. And um, I have been many, many times, and it's not because I'm a glutton. I hope not. <laughs> I I just like insist on taking people with me. I just, and mm-hmm. every time I take people with me, I see it in their faces and I hear it in their voices. Like this has been a life changing thing, and and it and it has taught taught them a lot. I know. Yeah. So, um, so that is what Iona is about. And so this is not a, a plug. I just want to let you know that if you're interested, I guess it is sort of a plug, but like, I want people to know there are good resources out there. So my very first book is called Thin Places. And that is about like some of the things that these early Celts practiced that are really helpful for today. Cause we haven't even talked about prayer. That is mm. such a, a deep and helpful yeah. thing. Yeah. And then my most recent book is called A Journey of Sea and Stone. And that's kind of my own reflections about what it means, what it's like to be on Iona. So that's an mm-hmm. answer to your question of why Iona, mm-hmm. um, you know, what it's like to be there and and to to listen to God and, mm-hmm. and be in that particular place. I love that. I love that so much because, like you said, we also haven't spoken about prayer, but you've also alluded to something that's so important and that the earliest cults understood these believers 
of uh, of the gift and of the magic, so to say, and mm-hmm. of the practice of solitude, and that mm. be part of our life, of our mm-hmm. spiritual walk. We are so far removed from the solitude that God wants us to have, you know, and to have in our lives and to practice in our lives. And because like you have said so many times while we've been together about the busyness that comes in and solitude is so important to, to our, our walk in so many ways. It's not just about hearing from God, but it's about being present with God and it's about being still inside of yourself and that everything that's in your head about God actually drops into your heart that's truth. And that's part of what solitude can give you. And isn't that something we can learn from the earliest Celtic believers as well? That's why they were in this monastic kind of framework. There was so much solitude that they have. And that connected to prayer and connecting with God and His presence, which is what we all seek, but don't make the time to often pursue that is so well said, Lauren. Yes, so well said. And, you know, this is nothing new. God mm. told us, take a Sabbath, take a Sabbath yeah. day. Remember that it is a holy day. And, and and that isn't just because I said so. I mean, we do we do want to obey God because he said so. Yeah. But, you know, like like a good parent, he knows what is good for us and knows what we need to thrive. Mm. And if we're wondering why we don't sense the presence of God in the midst of our busy week, it's because we haven't been, we haven't gotten accustomed to it. We haven't learned, we haven't trained our, our senses, our souls to be on the lookout for it, to be, we haven't trained our ears. And the more you practice solitude, silence, slowing, those just basic you know, things that you might do on a Sabbath day. So it isn't really the busyness of our lives that is bad. Hmm. It's good that we have good work to do and that we have people to care for and all of that. But what's tricky is that we need to learn how to be with God in the midst of all that. And so um, we need to learn, we need to train um, how to pay attention to him in the midst of it all. Mm-hmm. And so that's why that Sabbath practice is really helpful. We train during the Sabbath. We practice how to be still, how to pay attention to God, how to listen for his voice so that we are in, when, when, when we are in the midst of the fray, we're more likely to be aware that he's right there with us. And I think mm-hmm. that's what sometimes going to sacred places, mm-hmm. whether that's on a a distant island to really soak it in, or whether it's on a local um, trail, you know, or yeah. on your grandmother's porch, just to like to be still. That's training. It's like a good athlete trains for a race. That's what we have to do. Mm, absolutely. I love that you mentioned, you know, how how also active and how busy these monks really were as well. You know, like you said, tending to sheep, tending to souls, preparing you know, for sermons that need to be preached, prepared. Also, like you mentioned earlier on, they were teaching, you know, people how to read and write. So there was such a busyness as well uh, that and an activity that was involved in the community and reaching people. And I know that, you know, a lot of them, and I think of Aiden as well, like traveling very long distances, uh, you know, to reach people and uh, just going there quite slowly. I mean, didn't have a car like we do right. you know it's a very different way of of being and 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 living of course but there was activity 
you know, but it's like you said as well, um, how are we practicing that stillness in our lives as well to be able to connect with God and hear when he is connecting with us? And, you know, I actually personally, and, and Tracy probably do as well, know a lot of people that God speaks to them through the creation. You know, it's mm. like they can totally receive comfort from something that God does with a bird that flies by or uh, something, a cloud in the sky or the the ocean that they get to go and have a look at. And we know even, uh, you know, today, doctors and mental health practitioners always say, if you need help with anxiety, if you need help with depression, you need help with your mental health, get out in nature as far away from people as you can possibly be. And I've heard many of them wow. say that, right? Yep. And this is the way that, you know, there's this blueprint that, like you said, God has given us. And also that these earliest Celtic believers were, were really practicing. I mean, we, we tend to get a little bit confused and go, oh, well, you know, that's bad stuff because they were so involved in creation. Well, actually, a lot of the Psalms praise God through the use of creation, right? Like uh, the sound of the waves is the sound of his voice. It's the majestic roar of his voice, you know, and absolutely, you know, uh, he even speaks to Job about all the things that he created. You know, were you there when this was created? Were you there when this was created? Like, are you there when, when these things happen? Were you there at the beginning? And he said that it was very good. Everything that he created was so good, still is. And I think that we can almost become, pulled away from these beautiful truths and the beautiful way that these early believers lived because we're just too scared. And then we, we, we kind of are like, Oh no, I shouldn't look at that. Or, or I shouldn't even, you know, look at those prayers or I shouldn't even read about them because those people are called saints. And I feel uncomfortable with that. And Tracy, that's something else, I guess that we should touch on before we wrap up is that sometimes people get, they don't want to learn about the earliest believers because we have that loaded term of of them being you know made saints and people feel very mm. uncomfortable with that mm. and how yeah. do we understand that then you know how do people who feel uncomfortable with that begin to reconcile that with actually the, having the courage to learn about these people because they weren't called a saint in their day you know that came later right. so they weren't thinking hey i'm saint columbo i'm saint patrick or saint kevin walking around not just like hi call um, me kevin <laughs> you know right right they would have had a special title maybe abbot you know the mm. head of a monastery was abbot so you know we do give people special titles here yeah. in this world but saint does kind of throw us off until we read the new testament and see that paul calls us all saints so, so we do have to remember that, that as children, I've, I've been reading just recently in the Psalms, how many times, um, and this is, this is, a, a, you know, I don't, I don't want to stretch it, but just um, one thing that, that um, learning from the um, Celtic Christians has done for me is learn to think metaphorically and, and using image. And this goes back mm -hmm. to art yeah. And yeah, what is visible, right? Helps me think of, helps me understand what is un invisible. Hmm. And how many times the, the scripture says that I have crowned you or God has crowned you with, with um, honor and glory. Hmm. Um, that doesn't mean I'm a king. That doesn't mean I'm um, a princess. It does mean I'm a child of the king. And it changes the way I look at myself and the way I look at every human being. Mm. And, and so 
Um, I think, um, you know, to call St. Patrick or St. Columba, this is the way we honor people who have something super valuable to teach us. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't elevate them to any sort of godlike status. Um, and the truth is, is that at that time in history, there was only one church. This was before the Reformation. Yeah. So we could say that, that, that the Catholic Church is the only church there was. Mm-hmm. Um, St. Patrick became a bishop in that church. He was a priest in that church. It was the only church there was. Um, mm-hmm. And so so some of those structures were present just because that's all there was. Yeah. Um, it wasn't, you know, until the mid 1500s that the Reformation took place and Protestantism came about. So so that was one of the reasons why why I wrote that first book to Protestants, because I didn't want I did number one. I didn't want the Celtic uh, way to be off-putting to uh, not only because of its pagan connections, but also to its Catholic connections. I wanted mm-hmm. Protestants to not be afraid and to not miss the really good things because of those two things. Now, the 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 caveat, the disclaimer, I always say is that whenever you're reading anything that has spiritual connotations. You ask for the Holy Spirit's guidance and you keep what is good and let go of the rest. You know, if there's something that bothers you or it's something you're not sure of, Hmm. don't keep it or put it in a pile for exploration later, you know, um, because it is true. There there are creepy, not great things about pre-Christian Ireland, for sure. There are reasons it should be troubled by paganism. And for sure, there are reasons that, um, that the Catholic Church, capital C, no, yes, capital C, the, mm-hmm. the, the, that you would be uncomfortable with. Um, that, doesn't, that doesn't mean we, we um, throw it all away. So yeah. I have learned deeply formative things from the Catholic Church myself, but mm-hmm. I am not a Catholic. Um, so, so I just feel like um, all truth is God's truth, and I want to be open to it. But um, as my father-in-law would say, don't be so open that your brain falls out. You don't you don't have <laughs> don't have such an open mind. Yeah, was, don't have such an open mind that your brain falls out. <laughs> so, you know, God has given us a, a mind and a heart and the Holy Spirit, and those are yeah. a good nation. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Um, I, I'm I'm gonna I'm yeah I'm gonna take that. <laughs> your father-in-law said I'm <laughs> totally gonna take that. You know, I was speaking to my husband about something the other day. We were talking about something. It was. Uh, spiritual thing I, I can't even remember but i say to him you know what you just eat the meat and you spit out mm-hmm. the bones you know what i mean yes. like you don't have yep. to whatever <laughs> he yes. was but he was so funny he was like what if i was there and i only got a bone and i was like well then he's <laughs> obviously then you just spit the whole thing out you don't need to take any yep. of it you know he's like Cause sometimes you just live with a big bone like in the crude smoothie like you know like the caveman <laughs> I'm like, you just spit that bone out. Like you can just take the meat. And that's the thing. Sometimes I think that we want just the meat. And in everything in life, you know, you're not just going to get all the all the greats. And maybe, you know, you just got to have, like you said, you, we have the Holy Spirit. We, we can use that discernment and we can know what is for us and what isn't. But we can miss the blessings of God if we get super legalistic and super judgmental where we're telling ourselves, I can't do this, I can't do that, and I mustn't look at that because someone once told me this is wrong or whatever without 
having that discernment to go, what if God wants to speak to me through that or that thing or that person? And I remember, Tracy, you were talking about thin places. I remember just uh, I had a print in my dining room of a, it was a Renoir painting called The Umbrellas. And uh, it's just so beautiful. And I had a print, like a phony cheap print in my dining room. But I had the privilege when I was in England, in London once, um, I went to the National Gallery and they were doing an Impressionist exhibition. And I didn't really know, um, but I, I was there because it was God's wall. And I remember walking into the room and seeing that painting, the very oh. one that Renoir had painted that I had had, that I had on funny, like cheap $20 painting on my wall. And I stood there and I, I just started weeping. I just started crying. My family members thought I was weird, but I was, it felt like a thin place for me. It was like, God bring me to a place and going like, you know, I want you to behold the real thing. I want to give you this mm. gift. And it sounds maybe so stupid sometimes to someone else listening, but to you as a person, God speaks to us in a language that our heart understands. Mm, and maybe it's that so right. place. That's the thin place. He meets us there. And we can have that anywhere when we're open to the spirit. And I think that's the beauty of what you reminded of us today as well. And through through this Celtic faith that God truly is with us everywhere and can meet us in any moment, but we have to be open to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. What a gift that absolutely. And, and I can just picture that because I've had similar expenses experiences there at that national gallery. Oh my gosh. Really? <laughs> yeah. Then That's that kind amazing. of goes back full circle, you know, with your question about art, doesn't it? I mean, mm. um, so, so you're, um, Oh, I had a thought earlier, but yes, but your um, your comment about even I think people even today are are learning. Oh, I know what it was when you you were saying that psychologists are saying, you know, when you're feeling really um, depressed or discouraged, like you need to get out and away from people, get away from mm-hmm. your screen, and get out into fresh air and in nature. Yeah. I think also people are finding that that making things with your hands, being creative, is also so. Um, healing and helpful. And I yeah. think artists have known this forever. Yeah. And um, I love the way the Celts and the monastic Celts honored that practice and mm. made space for it. So the same time we have the people who are taking care of the sheep and the people who are taking care of the, of um, the people in the village and the people who are running the prayer services, we have the people who are up in the scriptorium. I love that word. Yeah. Um, copying the scriptures mm. and, and illuminate the artists. Right? That's amazing, so, right? That's amazing. So, <laughs> yeah, all of you people out there who are artists and that's the way you work, like that is holy work. Yeah. Amen. Amen and amen. Tracy, I want to say thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you so much for unpacking this with me today, but for giving us a eyesight in to seeing something beautiful today. And my prayer is that someone has maybe even experienced a thin place through this conversation and, you know, feeding God's presence and will find themselves on Iona or on a pilgrimage somewhere. That's beautiful. And so I want to say, Tracy, thank you so much for being with me today. And may God just bless everything that you do. And just thank you so much. Oh, Lauren, it has been an absolute pleasure, and I pray his blessings on all your good work as well. Amen. Thank you so much, and take care.
All right. Bye-bye. That you've enjoyed spending time with myself and Tracy today. It has truly been a blessing, as you can hear. And just that inspiration, I pray that you have really felt the Holy Spirit with you during our conversation and maybe been reminded of a thin place where you experience God and that He wants to maybe take you back to or just making space to have Him be with you in your day or interrupt the day, disrupt the day even, and just meeting with Him and just being with Him. And History can teach us so many things and the people that have gone before us can teach you and me so many things about our faith and the day-to-day practices that we can live out in our lives. So it's been such a great pleasure and privilege to be with you and with Tracy today. May you be super blessed. May you be filled with peace, shalom and goodness as you go into the rest of the evening. Take care and see you next week. This insert was brought to you by Radio K Pulpit, 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za.